Hello and welcome to Leadership Behaviours Unpacked. In today's episode, I am joined by Glyn Bottrell, a coach, mentor and leadership and organisation development expert. I met Glyn a few years ago, quite by accident, when he came to collect a spin bike which he'd bought from me. And we discovered that we did quite similar work. Uh, Soon afterwards, we decided to meet up for a coffee and talk about our work. And we discovered that our lives and our thinking had often been on really similar paths. And we would talk for hours about work, life and the universe. And I always wanted to record one of those conversations. And so here it is. Glyn is someone I massively admire. His work is brave, it's holistic, and I really believe that it makes a difference to those people whose work and lives he's able to influence. We talk here about the importance of authenticity, about people being able to be themselves, and how great work shouldn't always have to be really, really hard to be worth doing. In the podcast, we go round a few subjects a few times. We talk about what is coaching, um, why it's about so much more than just the mind, and how we both firmly believe that coaching can really make a difference to organisations and to the wider world in creating a healthy work environment where burnout is not inevitable. There's also a note of caution that comes with this podcast episode. Um, A warning up front, if you like. The first being, it's quite long. The second is, it's not edited very much. I've juggled since recording this with the thought of what to cut. And actually, I've decided to cut nothing at all. It's meant to be a recording of a conversation. And that's what it is. So... You can listen to all of it, you can dip in and out, and you can take from it what you will. Whether you're a coach, whether you're someone wondering if coaching is for you or could support your organisation or somebody else that you know, or you just have the patience to listen to a long conversation. So let me know what emerges for you as you listen, and I really hope it speaks to you in some way. So... Let's get started. And I'd really love to welcome Glyn to the podcast today. Uh, Glyn, thank you so much for agreeing to join me today um, and to talk about coaching. Um, So I thought a good place to start was probably Mm -hmm. to talk about why you decided to become a coach in the first place. And then we will probably go off down lots of different avenues. So what drew you to becoming a coach? Well, I'm not sure I ever actually decided to become a coach. I don't think there was like a, a point where I thought that's a career I want to do. I th- it sort of just emerged over time. Okay. So I guess the it was my own previous experience that led me to think work that looks something like this is something that is needed in the world yeah. and something I might be able to bring usefully into the world. So it's really my own experience of working in organisations in particular and not finding that experience particularly um, fulfilling or healthy yeah. at times. And then that resulting in a pretty major burnout mm. myself 
Um, and off the back of that, I, I went for, for a good year. My first thought was, I want to be a gardener. Okay. Because I can't be doing the people anymore. Okay. Right. But actually, I quite enjoy gardening. I enjoy the physicality, connect with nature. That all sounds good. But something in me said, well, no, I've had this experience. I've seen something about organisations and I've sort of reflected on that for myself. Actually, maybe I'm being called to how can I bring that back into the world so that others don't have the same sort of experience. Mm. And even if they're not having a particularly difficult experience in organisations, still how can they be the best of themselves in yeah. whatever they are doing. So that's kind of my, that was my starting yeah. point for something that might look like this. Yeah. I mean, that's really interesting because I think my own journey to it was probably quite similar in that I'd spent so much of my career thinking, why does it have to be this hard? Mm-hmm. You know, why? It, it Surely you don't get the best out of people by flogging them to death and... That may like sound like an exaggeration, but I think in some organisations it's not. And, and people leave or worse because there is there, there is no space for the well-being piece within that or the just being yourself piece. Exactly. Well, I think it's that piece. It's it's the diversity part of it, the recognising that we can we can all perform in different ways. Yeah. If we are allowed to. Yeah. But if we are pushed into this is the model of what good looks like here and therefore you have to force yourself into that and if you don't one that that's sort of denying your 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 authenticity your version of how you are as a human being but also you get told professionally that you're a bad person because you're not fitting yeah you're not enough so it's like this double hit whatever yeah yeah and so then we wonder why we struggle and we wonder why strange behaviour starts to manifest because people are being asked to be something other than themselves. Mm. Now, on the flip side of that, yes, some aspects of being ourselves also aren't great in the workplace sometimes, so we need to build our awareness of that and where do we need to adapt a little bit to fit in. But I think there's a difference between a sort of adapting so we can be in relationship with each other that's very different to adapting myself fully so that I fit in here, so that I feel like I belong, so that I get told that I'm a good boy and, and following the rules. Yeah. Because that's quite an oppressive yeah. thing. And I think it's also the, you know, it's not just the well-being piece, but it is that it's that performance piece of, you know, I remember, you remember, go back even 10 years, but certainly 20 years in the workplace when they first started bringing in, you know, personal development plans mm. and and what well, started to move a bit from training into development it was still very formulaic yeah and it was <clears throat> still quite remedial a lot of the time as mm. well here's what you you are not yet good at or here's what you are Absolutely. bad at yeah, let, yeah, us, yeah. let us name that and then fix it yeah and you were supposed yeah. to be grateful for it yeah I remember as a trainer my biggest dread when you'd kind of go around the room at the beginning and go okay who are you you know what's your role and what are you hoping to get out of today and my biggest dread was um, my boss has sent me because he says I'm no good at this exactly I'd be like my heart would sink so it's like okay so you're here not necessarily to learn 
you're here because you've been told you're rubbish at this and you need to get better at it. So probably the job is let's tick off that you went on the course and actually, will anything have changed? Do you actually want to be what they're asking you to be? Um, and, And actually, what does that look like? So I think, you know, training, I've been a trainer for a long, long time, but it works, I think, if you then back it up with some real deep, coaching piece that actually says okay so what does being the best version of you look like yeah and if you've been sent off on a stakeholder management course or a communications course or whatever it might be where does that fit and what does being the best version of you in in your context look like because we can't be other people so when someone comes and says my boss says i need to be more like them or more like Richard Branson or more like whoever it's almost like who's your leadership hero or who's your kind of like how do we all be and that's how we're all going to now try and ramp everybody into that box or into those personality types well actually we kind of turn up as we are don't we not in a way that can kind of be shifted and we can all go on those courses or read that book so you you gather that bit of knowledge yes about a thing whatever it might be stakeholder engagement whatever it is but then we can all apply that in an infinite number of different yeah, ways yeah. through our own gifts. But that's the bit that's then missing. It's like, no, this is what the course tells us. This is what good looks like. Yeah. And therefore, you need to do it that way. And if it doesn't make sense to you, you're never going to do that well. It's going to feel uncomfortable. But you could actually, you can build on what you, the content you've learned in the course yeah. through your own gifts and then make it even better yeah. than the model that you've been presented in the yeah. first place if somebody has that conversation yeah. with you. I mean, I think the the other bit for me, it's one of those things that sits alongside coaching is the mentoring yeah. piece as well. And I only realised after I sort of started getting into this work and reflecting on what was 20-plus years of work by that point um, that... I'd never really had a mentor. Even going right back to my teachers mm. at school, I'd never had anybody that said to me, oh, you're really quite good at that. Let's nurture it. Or let's find out what you're good at and let's yeah. nurture that. I, As I reflected back, all I could think of was either being left to my own devices at best yeah, or being told the things that people didn't think I was good at. Absolutely. And all they were actually doing then was telling me the things that I did differently to them. It wasn't that I wasn't good at them. Yeah. I just wasn't doing it the way that they wanted to do it. Yeah. So it was just this constant flow of sort of negative yeah. feedback. Yeah. And very little on what you did well. And even the things that I, you know, I did a lot of things well, but I didn't enjoy a lot of them. So it's like, so where was the conversation yeah. to say, what really brings you to life? Then you can really bring that gift yeah. To the world. And we all have to do some stuff we don't like doing oh, as well. If you're spending most of that time in that sweet spot of yeah. here's what brings me to life. Yeah. Then what can we achieve yeah. together? It's you know, there's so much more that's possible. And I think like you, I you know, I I remember that, you know, always being feeling like I was being told the things I needed to do better, more of differently. And driving myself really hard and almost getting into a mindset where if it wasn't really hard, it clearly wasn't worth doing. 
So, you know, and almost wearing, I talked about it a bit in the resilience podcast piece about starting to wear a badge of honor that was around, (laughs) I am really, really busy. I am really, really stressed and I am really bloody miserable. Oh, that's good. Then you're clearly working hard. You know, it's such crap. It's like, what's wrong with actually saying, what are the things, what are the gifts that you bring? And that's the diversity piece, isn't it? I think it's always that diversity of thinking yeah. and being. And talents. And, and talents, you know, we are all so different. And actually bringing that together in a team. I've mentioned it once before, I think, on here about, you know, a boss that told me, he gave me, he delivered my performance development, my development review, and had completed it for me which is the first kind of wonder of the world, isn't it? About this is your development plan. These are the things you need to develop. So, you know, AKA, this is these are the things you're not good enough at. And one of them was he'd written, Jane now needs to develop a sense of professionalism alongside her over-enthusiastic nature. Great. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. Well, what's behind that? Well, somebody yeah. asked you to said they would like you to join a project team because you were always really enthusiastic. But you don't really want people to say that about you. There was never a question about what do you want to be known as? You know, whereas I remember sitting there thinking, oh, I thought that was a good thing. But now I'm not sure because and then for years questioning. So if I did become really animated and enthusiastic and I really wanted to get involved, there's a little gremlin on my shoulder going, no, no, this is not professional, Jane. You need to be more quiet, serious, measured. And I can be those things if it requires it, but actually that's not my, that's not where my energy kind of sits. But again, I think there's a difference between if you... We, we all have, and particularly as you work through an organisation, you work your way up in an organisation, we all have to be able to operate in different modes. Yes. Right? And we have to be able to read that and be aware of ourselves and adjust to some extent. Not pretending to be someone we're not, but making those adjustments. And so if there is something you know, like your enthusiasm, which in certain circumstances, that's maybe not the best thing to have mm. here. You can switch into another mode by choice. Yes. But the important bit is still to have recognised that your enthusiasm is a great gift in other situations. Absolutely. As opposed to the, no, enthusiasm is wrong. Yes, enthusiasm makes you a bad person. Yeah, this part of me is not welcome here. Yes. So I will not show it. Yes. Which is actually then saying, I am not welcome here. Yes. So I will not show myself. Yeah. So then actually the organisation is losing. Yeah. Because it's not seeing any of your gifts because you're withholding them. Yeah. Because you've been, you think you've been told to withhold them. Yes. And then you're trying to show all these skills that you don't really think are your gifts. Yeah. But you've still got to keep trying to make it happen anyway. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, the, how the personal development thing shifted, you know, we then moved into this idea of the, you know, the, the developing of high performance. Yes. So certain people will be selected. Absolutely. And the then, talent pool. Yeah. Yeah. And then given the coaching and yeah. given the, yeah, because the, the idea of development, development isn't actually. Can you develop something which is not there in the first place? No, you can't de- develop a gap. It just becomes a bigger gap. Yeah. Right. So there has to be some. There's got to be a seed there yeah. which you can develop. So you actually developing somebody's talents and skills, as opposed to the conversation being developing your lacks. Yes. It's a very different thing. But we only did that with the chosen few at the top of the Absolutely. organization. 
And everybody else, if you got sent on a course or got sent to a coach, it was remedial again. Yeah. It was yeah. something missing here. Yeah. What we're doing. Yeah. Now, and I think that conversation has evolved in recent years. It's getting better, but we still bump into enough people who, you know, who will turn up on a course, for example, and yeah. you know, I've been sent. I've been told I need to develop yeah. this. I get it in leadership programs. You know, I'm, I've, I've come on this so I can find out um, what a leader looks like in this organisation. Mm. So look in the mirror. Yeah, that, it's, yeah. it's your version of it. Yes, you need to understand the, the parameters, the framework, the, the competencies that this organisation particularly prizes. Mm-hmm. And you need to understand the culture to some extent. So there's still that slight adaptation bit. But it's still about you as your version of the leader mm. within that framework, not, oh, there's that person that's three levels above me. I want to look like that because you never will. Mm. And the organisation's already got one of them. Yeah. So if you get two of them, there's no creativity in that. Yeah. Because you're yeah. putting two things that are the same together. So when you get clients that come to you for one-to-one coaching, how would you describe your, (laughs) this is a great question, how would you describe your coaching approach? So, and the reason I ask this question is, you know, I remember when I started to think about the qualifications that I Mm. wanted to become a coach, and I do kind of rattle on about the importance of robust training and robust uh, accreditation around that and um, that's probably a conversation for another kind of podcast around how important (laughs) that is but it is important because or I believe it is because you're actually you are you know you you are in a really position of responsibility with someone's life and their work so actually you can influence stuff and I um, so that's it's really difficult isn't it but so I think I remember kind of sitting down and thinking right do I want to be learn how to be an executive coach oh that what's that matter I mean you know what kind of is it more about a sort of holistic coaching approach a somatic coaching approach well those kind of things Mm. so I think there's it's a broad broad field isn't Mm. it how would you describe your approach and how have you kind of come to to that and if anyone could see you he's laughing right now yeah because I'm not sure I can answer you with those questions I mean I can give you an answer but whether it actually answers the questions we'll, we'll see um, I suppose first of all, would I call myself a coach? I would I call myself a mentor? You know, I I work with individuals and groups of people. And I recognise you asked me the question about if people come to you for one-to-one coaching, but bear with me. Um, and that can look like what might be called coaching. It can look like mentoring. It can look like facilitation. I, I'm not particularly keen on any of those titles mm. because I think they they come with a degree of history and certain connotations and do they really capture all of what's possible? Um, but I also recognise that they are labels that people recognise something in yeah. so it helps them enter into yeah. a starting point of a conversation. But really what I say I do is I... I just have conversations with people. Yeah. Right. Whether it's one to one or whether it's group, it's about having a conversation that has certain qualities mm. to it. 
So what is then the approach to that? Again, I mean, it's it's kind of constantly emerging, I mm. think. I guess where I started from was just my own experience, again. So I guess often what I talk to people about is, is the different hats that I can bring to a conversation. So I've been in leadership positions myself. So... Now, that's not to say that if you want to be a leadership coach or an executive coach, you have to have been a leader mm. or an executive. But I can, at least for some people, it gives them that sense of, okay, this guy maybe gets some idea of the world yeah. that I'm operating in. Yeah. Right? Um, similarly, you know, whether it's um, team coaching, for example, you know, I have managed teams, I have developed teams, I have developed individuals, so I can draw on all of that stuff. I've also done a lot of operations work in my time. So I've done the finances and the HR. So if people want to get into a slightly more technical thing, I'm not going to tell them how to do that. Yeah. But they, again, have a confidence that they can talk about the issue. I'll have a broad understanding yeah. of it. So yeah. some of it's that moving through the hats to some extent. Then there's also the experience of, I guess, you know, the pain I suffered in burnout Mm. And that, I think, brings with it a, a degree of empathy and compassion, yeah. which I think is really important. Um, but within that, I think there's something in coaching about, you know, it's, it's not just a simple conversation with a friend. It's not a therapy session in itself. It is a space in which you're looking to move forward in some way. Yeah. So even alongside the compassion and the empathy, there's an important element of challenge yeah. as well. And again, depending on the individual, depending on the circumstance, you have to gauge how much or how little you push in any given moment and you constantly contracting that between you. But there is something about not just accepting what yeah. the client is telling you or, or, or trying to understand how they might just push themselves that little bit further. I think as well from my experience of my own burnout and everything I said earlier about you know, the lack of mentorship, etc. a big part of what I do is just helping people see what they're brilliant at. Yeah. Um, which they nobody tells them. They often can't see it themselves. So just bringing that out, you know, what actually brings you to life? What do you care yeah. about? And that's a really important question, actually, because to get to that part you're not actually asking people what are you good at Hmm. you're asking them what brings them alive you know when do you feel at your most alive when do you feel at your best in a work situation whatever situation because that tends to be doesn't it when somebody is 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 doing something that's true to their values and who they are and actually probably feels quite easy. So it is back to that bit about, you know, we burn out because we are forcing ourselves into situations where things are really, really hard. And we almost think if we're actually doing something that feels easy, we can't be working. Well, I think also we've been we've been trained over time through through school and then through work to to pay attention to the difficult and the challenging. Yeah and the, what I'm not good at. The easy, we tend to not remember. Yeah. Because it doesn't stick yeah. out in the same way. 
but actually wouldn't it be great if we spent more time in the easy yeah. because all easy is for me is it's 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 not the easy that is the opposite of difficult it's the easy that is full of ease it's easeful yes yeah right? it's it's a relaxed way of being yeah you can still be pushing yourself and challenging yeah. yourself in a space of ease but it feels like it's right to you yeah so and that's what you're speaking to the the other bit that has come into my work over time which has has been a more deliberate exploration of a way of working which is working more with the body yeah that's what and it's just something that came to me a few years ago i can't remember how now but it just sort of thought oh that kind of makes sense there's, there's something in that so i've explored it more in recent years it's come more and more into my work and it's it's that part of it is that thing about yeah when do you feel more mm. alive and when do you not yes right when do you feel stuck when do you feel that you're not in control when do you feel that you're just falling into that same pattern of behavior again mm. because of the circumstances yeah. which we we so often think we have no agency over and have no control yeah. over or that you know we're the victim of yeah. whatever it might be but actually if we start to pay attention to when those things are coming up we can not in every situation but we can create more choice yeah about either how we behave and what we do the actions we take or at least how we feel about it yeah right so for me it was just a question of you know starting to explore this idea where you've got this whole body right and much of the time again because how we've been trained through our education system mm. we focus on the bit above the shoulders absolutely right? what do you think yeah <laughs> and the body then you know is this idea of the body is just really there to carry around the brain mm. um but actually there is so much more information data and wisdom in all of the rest of the body and that's not at all to diminish what the brain does. And thinking is brilliant, right? But again, it's only one mode of understanding mm. the world, of interacting with the world, of accessing the world. There is all there are all these other ways we can do that through the body as well. And for so many people, we're just detached yeah. from that. Whereas when you start to tap into all this other stuff that's happening alongside your thinking, you just start to see the questions differently you just start to access possible answers mm. differently you just it, it just opens up this this other world now yeah. it can be i guess a little bit terrifying at first because you start paying attention to all this other stuff and it's oh god i didn't realize that was going on you know? mm. and we i think as well over time we've learned to dismiss that a lot of the time. oh definitely whereas usually when something's happening in the body and it can be really pronounced or it can be really subtle, um, it's telling us something for a reason. Yeah. It's trying to get our attention of something. Mm. So I think that that has become a big part of my work. But again, depending on who I'm working with, I might bring aspects of that in in really, really small ways. Yeah. Because you know, if I'm working with somebody who is still very much working from the head, Going straight into that space can just be yeah. too difficult. Um, but in other situations, be very much working through the body as the, the majority yeah. of the time. And even the ways of working through the body are, are many and varied as well. And you sort of get engaged that based on the individual yeah. that's in front of you. 
Yeah. And and one of the things that I, you know, we talked about it before and I find it really difficult is when people, you know, ask you what you do. And if you say, oh, I'm a coach, it's like, oh, so are you a swimming coach? No, not a swimming coach. And it's kind of like, so you're a business coach. Well, no, <laughs> because, you know, in my head, a business coach is someone who coaches you through how to set up your business yeah. and manage your finance or whatever. Um, and I settle most of the time on leadership coach because I tend to work with a lot of leaders. Um, but it's really difficult to label that, isn't it? And actually, you know, the, 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 that very specific bit you talk about, you know, the kind of somatic coaching piece. But as you say, you don't mark it, I'm a somatic coach, because people rock up kind of where they're at. And there are different techniques that you just are tuned on in and you're thinking, I wonder if this would work. So actually you kind of steer them down a route, use some different techniques of which there are many. Um, and I remember the first time, I think the second lot of uh, training that I did, the coach training I did, and I remember kind of learning for the first time the sand play piece. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing it on the agenda and thinking, and actually I was a bit judgy. I remember thinking, oh, no, that's not kind of what I do. Um, and I remember it from a sort of therapy aspect, yeah. but I hadn't seen it in terms of actually then experiencing the power that getting people out of their heads and into their creativity, so whether that's into their bodies, but into their creativity and actually thinking in a more abstract way can access things and create links was a massive revelation to me um, that actually I didn't need to label that. But I still struggle (laughs) to know what to call myself. You know, we have to have something on our business card if you go to a networking event and you have like the 50 seconds to stand up and say what you do oh my god it's like what do you tell people that you do so if you had your 60 seconds how do you summarize that how do you is anyone's listening to this that's going what does a coach do so hang on a second you do a bit of this and you do a bit of that because they get what a psychotherapist does they think they do yeah. and people tend to go to a psychotherapist in crisis so you don't cope anymore. You reach out for that kind of help. We're not that person. But in your view, kind of what are we? It's a really unfair question, I know. Well, I, I, so I, I think that this is part of the problem, actually, that if, if the we that you are asking me about is coaches. Yeah. Right? There are so many different flavours. Yeah. That... We can't describe that we in one particular way. I mean, I can't even describe it in one particular way for myself because that will still vary slightly depending on who I'm talking to. So, you know, I would, for some people, I would maybe describe it as, uh, you know, a thinking partner, somebody who walks alongside is often how I yeah. talk about what yeah. I do. Right? So I'm not, I'm not a teacher. No. I'm not a guru, I'm not an expert, I'm, I'm not even really a guide necessarily, I can do a bit of guiding maybe, but I'm really just walking alongside almost as a peer. Yeah. And then as we're walking forward on whatever the path is together, whatever comes up for you, which you either get excited about or you feel is an obstacle or whatever it might be, together we figure out how we move forward to where you want to get to. Yeah. 
and that's it really for me and then that what that looks like will be different for different people so you know for some people it will be a more traditional here's a problem need to find a solution let's think through it for other people it will be more you know that that self-esteem bit again of yeah. like, what what am I good at what do I care about uh, but often those things start to cross over each other as well so more and more if I describe it at all and generally honestly I try and avoid describing it anyway yeah because how do you understand what it is you have the experience of the conversation yeah right? yeah and it then will be individual to you and I in that conversation what it is yeah. at that time I don't even necessarily describe it to you afterwards it will it will emerge yeah. in, dynamically yeah. in that conversation right so and that's another important part of it is that if people say to me well how will you work and what will we do I don't know I honestly don't know and if I did know I don't think I could be of service to you in the same way right yeah. that's not to say that it's lazy or that there isn't framework and there isn't structure yeah. there and there isn't learning and training and all the things we've done but if I decide beforehand that this is what it's going to look like and this is the plan over six sessions or three months mm. or whatever it yeah. is. You're in training mode. I've, I've limited it. Absolutely. And, and and you know what? I think that is such a such an important part. And I think I remember going, if I go right back to, I think, the first weekend I ever did, I think when I did my first ever sort of coach training intervention and it was a weekend that was about a sort of fundamentals and it was really about you know do you really want to do this or don't you want to do it so it was kind of getting underneath that and I remember really struggling and the person running the weekend said to me it's really tough if you've come from a consultancy background now that doesn't matter I don't think whether you're an internal consultant expert type person in a business or you're an external consultant but as consultants you're paid to give an answer to provide a structure to you know to have at least a really robust plan as to how we're going to get to that answer and as a coach you're not and I struggled with that for a long time and I probably still do to an extent particularly if I get a client who wants me to guarantee that I'm going to help them reach their goal. Yeah, absolutely. And that's often the case, isn't it? So if I pay you X, I want to be on the board of that organisation by the time we reach the end of this six months. Can I guarantee that? No. Is that actually what you'll end up believing you want to do? Maybe not. No. All I think we can guarantee is that we will hold that agenda and we will ask the right questions to be able to guide people through and I think one of the other things that I've often found is when people get a real light bulb moment and they're like oh my god now it all makes sense I can't even sometimes remember the question that I asked (laughs) what did I actually ask you that did that because it's a culmination isn't it of lots of questions lots of reflection but it's not about telling people what to do and and that's tough sometimes isn't it because you sit here thinking I just want to tell you what to do and again this is why I think that sometimes the the labels can be a bit unhelpful because actually not telling someone what to do in that directive way but offering a suggestion there's nothing wrong with it yeah done in the right way in the right moment in the right circumstances in the right relationship sometimes that is the helpful thing to do 
then the person you're talking to is completely in choice whether they want to listen to you or not but it's just offered as a suggestion yeah i think you can get you can get very purist about the coaching you know the open questions and the yeah, yeah, never yeah. directing and, and again i just think that's not me bringing the best of myself yeah particularly if somebody's drowning right now and they're like yeah really i just you know you can challenge that a couple of times like well okay you know what what else might we think about but if they're really, really asking you what you think, you you couch it in, yeah, to an extent it doesn't matter what I think, but if you want to know and it could help you evolve your thinking, then here's what I think. Because yeah. so often what happens in that situation is you say what you think and immediately the answer is, I know it's not that, but now I'm sure on what it is. Yes. So it still helps nudge somebody forward. Yeah, yeah. And and it's interesting because I think when you, when you know... Um, Earlier, you talked about what brought you to coaching and actually your own experiences. And I think for a long time, it took, and I think, you know, it's only what five years since I've focused very much on the coaching part of my work. And I think the reason I didn't before that is I believed that I had to demonstrate a perfect, sorted life. <laughs> before I could before mm. I could coach anyone else and it, yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds crazy when you say it out loud doesn't it about you know we we work with other people about the journey and moving forward and and yet quite often when you hold the mirror up to yourself you know and I think it's that bit about the experience isn't it and about you know I don't sit here and tell people about my experience and what I did but I may well drop bits of that in. A, it helps you, as you exactly. say, to have the empathy. And I think one of the things that I did learn, I think with a few clients, I waited until the coaching was technically over. So they had reached the end of the kind of six-month program they'd signed up to. They'd achieved what they wanted to. And then I kind of revealed to them some of my own journey and what therefore informed some of the work. And, they, and actually, they were very productive conversations. But I was then like, oh, that's okay, because... Now I can talk about it because it's kind of over. But I think I carried as a coach a lot of, as Brené Brown would say, mm. a lot of shame about my own, the things that I'd found hard, my own experiences, my own breakdowns, all of yeah. those things, which, you know, my experiences are only mine, but they massively inform that empathy, that compassion. And also the hope, you know, I think actually exactly. you can recover from this and it is OK and you will find your version of OK. And as long as we're enabling people to move forward, because that's the biggie for me about that, you know, what is coaching? It's enabling a person to move forward to be whatever the best version of them is, whatever that looks like. And I'm sure that doesn't appear as a definition in any book on coaching <laughs> that I articulate yeah. much better than I have. But for me, that's what it's about. I say to people, you know, actually, I will I will be able to support you to move, as you say, to walk along that path, create a path with less holes that you fall into all of the time, yeah. etc. There's a few things in there, I think, you know, just going back to the question of what's my approach, I think there is, so there's definitely something in that vulnerability piece of here's what I've experienced, here's what I'm experiencing right now. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll share yeah. with, with a client, in, 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 I'm feeling nervous right now, I'm yeah. not sure where we need to go, right? And 
but as long as you are at the same time projecting a, what's the word I want to use, a, a sense, an image of, but that's okay. You yes. Know, I'm not dying. Nothing's going to happen to me. I'm just right now, again, this is where the somatic bit comes in. Yeah. I've got a fluttering in my stomach right now, which I'm kind of interpreting as maybe a bit of anxiety about something. And I'm fine. But let's yeah. name that it's there. Because yeah. if I'm having that, then possibly you are in some way as well. Let's talk about that. Let's yeah. not ignore it. Because it's not going to kill us. No. It's perfectly okay. Yeah. Mm. So then bringing that out, and I, I've definitely noticed in the last couple of years in particular, I think there's something about doing that as a man. It's very different yeah. as well. And it's really interesting the last couple of years. Just I haven't even been paying attention to it because I'm probably a bit stupid. Um, just how many women I work with. Okay. And how, and it's often women who, after working with them a while, will sort of report to me that you know, they, they've often felt very uncomfortable working with men, you know, male mm. bosses, male colleagues. Mm. They've had difficult relationships, difficult times. They find that whole dynamic quite challenging. But there's something in me which they feel they can share openly and they feel encouraged to be themselves in that space. So that's another part of you know, what I can bring is, is actually being a man in these conversations. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which then with male clients can also be, that's where the challenge can come in. Yeah. Because I can also be challenging them about when their maleness is maybe less helpful in situations yeah. because I know I've been there myself as well. Yeah. Right. So another part of the sharing and the vulnerability is when I've got it badly wrong, when I've messed up. Absolutely. Because right? we all yes. do it again. Yeah. There is no perfect yeah. model. No, there isn't. Into. And I think this is the, as you were describing, I was reminded of a conversation the other day, and, and, and it's this thing about the messiness, right? Our lives are messy. Mm. The situations we're dealing with our clients are messy. The conversations are messy. Yeah. If you accept that, you don't have a plan, you don't have a structure going into it that's going to turn out in a certain way, and at the end of it, we reach the goal we said we we're going to get to. It's just a messy thing because life is a messy thing. And if you can hold that mess, acknowledge your own mess yeah. within that mess, yeah. welcome in the client's mess alongside your mess within the mess, yeah. <laughs> out of that comes the beauty. Yes, yes. And maybe that, that's a kind of really good summary, isn't it, of I guess what coaching is, because it's a mess. quite often it feels <laughs> like a mess. And the skill, I think, is and the need to be, to go through the development journey of becoming a coach is to be able to deal with that mess and to sit alongside. I think it's a Cahil Gibran uh, quote, and it may not be, it may be someone else. No, maybe it's not. Maybe it's the, um, is it a Raya Mountain Dreamer that talks about the dance? I think it's that one where it talks about the ability to stand in the fire alongside someone so it's that piece about you know I don't care whether you can be there in the joy it's whether you can stand alongside like you say to walk alongside someone when it's a mess and trust that there is sense will come from the mess and sense will probably come from the mess much quicker and more powerfully and more sustainably than if we have a very lovely process. Because emotion 
is not a process, isn't it? You think, you know, lean, lean processing is fabulous when it comes to machinery and machines churning out widgets, but people are not machines. And so I think, yeah, you're right, because I think one of the, and I was always nervous about doing it, and I think one of the tools that I often will use, and I think it's used in CBT quite a lot, is that bit about, you know, getting clients to notice their thought patterns and when they notice what they're thinking, to immediately notice how they're feeling yeah. and name that emotion. So like you say, you know, it's like I think I woke up this morning having had a long weekend, a weekend away, thinking, imagining at three in the morning that I had this to do list. And I, yeah, there's like you were saying about your list, you know, it'll have millions of things on it. But that waking up and noticing that I felt anxious and thinking, okay, what is this about? Because my thoughts are racing. I've got 25 million lists in my head. I think I all have to do them now. And the feeling is anxiety. So what am I going to do? Lie here and fret and get into a complete state or sit down and just think about the three things I've got to do today. Now, there probably are more things I could do today, but there were three things I needed to do today. And that just almost like calms the anxiety that's coming from that who knows where because actually right now our lives in the last 18 months of the pandemic uncertainty and mess what else is there yeah there's been so much (laughs) yeah yeah and i i mean that example you give i almost i now go a step further with that you know i flip it around the other way so it's focus on the feeling first yeah right what am i feeling specifically and where in me yes and describe that yes. and really get an angle on yeah it. because particularly you know, anxiety is always the interesting one because yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's the exact same physiology as excitement yes yes so if you start with the narrative which is, can be based on an assumption because it's based on past experience you can then be dealing with anxiety which might not be yeah right whereas if you focus first on the sensation that's a great practice yeah. in itself yeah then what is the narrative that's coming with that mm. sensation? And then, right, can we challenge that narrative? Because it's yes. just a story. Right? It is just a story. So, but again, all of that, whichever way around you do it, it's still working with that data that's in the body. It is. And not just sticking yeah. the narrative, which is the words in the head. And it's interesting, isn't it, thinking, you know, I'm still, I think, you know, and I think having gone through some of my own experiences in my own journey where I know my thinking I can think too much mm. you know I overanalyze where it's not needed and then as you said that you know actually maybe that interpret some of the emotion or, or try and squash the emotions I think when I think about drive and being really driven whilst drive can be really great to help you achieve things it can squash emotion. Mm-hmm. And I think I have for years, you know, I, I think when I've kind of revealed to people, I think that actually I have suffered very badly with anxiety in the past, they look surprised because I've adopted, created a real swan persona mm-hmm. because the anxiety's inside. And an anxiety inside is quite a dangerous place, isn't it? You know, for me, it's always kind of in my belly. Yeah. And actually, but I can exist. 
and actually potentially perform quite well but it's a hideous feeling and actually when you acknowledge it and, and go actually and sometimes you're right it's excitement yeah it's excitement you know I've had some really lovely things that have happened today including this so actually is that excitement or is that anxiety and it's yeah, yeah you need to be able to then acknowledge kind of what's coming from that so and I think you know so many ways you know we, we've shared before our, our stories have similarities and yeah, I've, I've had that internal anxiety in many ways for years. Um, and at the same time, you know, another part of the aspect of the way I work, I'll come on to in a minute, but it was a, a segue into it. Even before I was a coach, if that's what I am, um, <laughs> when I was working in organisations, when I was managing teams, etc., um, people always reflected back to me that that calmness that sense yeah. of here's a safe pair of hands yeah. something solid here no matter what happens you know and I, in my past life I, I, I did deal with some pretty big crisis stuff so you know I and I was fine in those circumstances and I think mm. I could get into that narrative then of I've created this calm persona and I think I've now come to the point no, I didn't create anything there is also a calm me. Yes. Right? And actually, yeah. the calm me is my true gift. Right? Yeah. And alongside it is an anxious me. Yes. Right? But in the past, the anxious me, when it got attention, it would overwhelm. Yeah. And therefore, I became an anxious person because it became all of me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The more I start to pay attention to that, well, that's yeah. it's, it's only in my stomach yeah actually it's only in the left side of my stomach in fact it's only in the bottom left side of my stomach <laughs> right now so there's all the rest of this body going on which feels perfectly fine yeah so i'm not an anxious person yeah my bo- but that part of my body is just asking me to pay attention to something yeah in my calmness yes and that's fine yeah yeah so recognizing that we can be multiple we are always multiple things at the same mm. time they will some will dial up some will dial mm. down but knowing that that is there, when when the anxious bit of me starts to pipe up a little bit, I know I can choose to dial in a bit more of the calm me at the mm. same time, which isn't creating something, isn't mm. suppressing anything. I'll still voice the anxiety, I'll still acknowledge it, but I won't let it take over and, and it becomes me. Yes. And that's that's the difference. So yeah. the yeah. bit I was going to move into then was, you know, it's this... It's the other side of the somatic bit, I suppose, which is this notion of presence. Yeah. So it's not just what's going on in the client, but how do you physically show up in Absolutely. yourself? Absolutely, yeah. Which can help the client settle. Yeah. And then also to help them work with, like, how do they show up in circumstances? What are they giving off from their body? Because, again, so much of our communication mm-hmm. is going on body to body. It's not going on through the words to... The words in the brain are way behind the game, right? The, the, the more immediate stuff is yeah. body to body. And that's another thing that I, I guess, again, thinking back to years of what people have said, it is something I've always had. But because, I guess, you know, unless you moved in very um, unusual circles 10 or 20 years ago, nobody was talking about presence in leadership. No. Very little, you know, be quite select circles. Or if you did talk about presence, you'd be talking about 
very specifically is we conf- we confuse this idea of charisma with presence. Yes. Right. Yes. So somebody yes. who could really, you know, rally a crowd and yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a it's a form of presence, but there are yeah, many yeah. other forms of presence. And the thing about presence is presence can generate fear and anxiety and all sorts of other things as well, not just good positive stuff. So again, because I wasn't getting that feedback that the what just the way you are is useful. Yeah. Just how you are in the room. You don't even have to say nothing. Yeah. It just adds something here. Yeah. And it's only so in the last few years that I've started to get some sort of language around that myself and then pay attention to yeah. how that is, which yeah. then allows me to bring that more usefully yeah. to to clients. Mm. And so it goes back to what we were saying earlier, you know, so much of the conversation is this, again, slightly vague concept of holding the space. Yes. But you create this space in which someone feels it's okay to be themselves. Yeah. Whatever, however messy that needs to be right now, yeah. There is no judgment in it. Yeah. We can even laugh at it a little bit. It's yeah. helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, we can cry if we need to. It's all fine with a view to them moving forward. Absolutely. Else. And within that space, things just come up. So going back to what you were saying earlier, you know, I, I will very rarely know what the next question is that I'm going to ask. Yeah. A question will come to me. And I think I may well have said to you more than once before, um, that if I say something, if I ask a question or if I offer an observation, um, people often sort of stop and go, oh, yeah. can you repeat that? No, can't. I can, I can maybe give you an approximation of roughly what it was, but uh, the words kind of pass through me because they're being generated out of that mess. Yes. I'm not thinking what's the clever question to ask yes. me or yes. how should I word this? It's just... No, I started with my mouth and you know, I, I had this in a in a, a peer learning group that I'm in and, and so often, you know, we'll be asked a question and then it's like who will offer something first and nobody wants to go first. So I, I will often just say, I'm just going to start talking. And it's, you know, it's what I call think talking. Mm. And I just, there's not actually much thinking in it a lot of the time. <laughs> it, it is just talking. Just talking. But it will look after itself. It will, yeah. it will find a way... And then it will it will spark something in somebody else, and then they'll throw something in. Mm. Yes, yeah, so it's that, that whole generative I, thing. I remember learning about um, clean language, mm. and I remember being so uncomfortable when being asked to repeat back to a client a single word that they'd said. I'm thinking, I can't do that, you know. I have to add value here. I can't repeat back the words. I can't just with a questioning tone and <laughs> thinking, oh, no, I've got, like you say, I need to come up with a clever. And actually then realising when you start to be brave enough to do that, the power that then brings. Yeah. But again, if someone said to you, OK, what was that question you asked me? And you said, I just repeated the word green. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that sounds a bit crazy. And but it is that, isn't it? Being able to hold that space and just whatever comes and that trust that you will have that and hold that space is is huge. But also so much of that space is is the not knowing space as well. And being comfortable with not knowing. Yeah. And, I, and I think when I first, you know, I would, and now I guess my plan, 
I, can, I will write down a couple of things, which will generally be, you know, where do you want to focus today? Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll let things run and it'll become clear, but it's about, you know, where do you want to focus? Creating a little bit of clarity around that. And that depends on the client and how long the relationship is, doesn't it? But yeah. actually the early on in the doors. And then I might write a couple of words down and they're often things like, I might write down clean, which is just a trigger to me to kind of go, okay, don't forget that yeah. as an option. I might write down something like choice because I often will talk through when you choose to do that, what do you choose not to do or what, yeah. you know, and, and and then I think I will then just literally have a summary. I'll write down, you know, summary, first action, just to kind of get that clear in people's head and, and I kind of close, which is a really which is a really lean structure isn't it but I think in the past I started and I would have kind of I'd write down all of the what is it I've got a list somewhere of powerful questions yeah, yeah, it's not a powerful question. and yeah. I would think oh now what are the most powerful questions I can ask yeah or kind of a list of homework inquiries and you think but you're then channeling yourself as a coach don't you into your own performance yeah. what is a clever question I can ask which may be a completely stupid question if you're actually talking about something completely different. So I think that for one, you know, that question about, you know, what do we bring to the client as a coach? I think is that intuition through developing the kind of skills to be able to hold that mess? Absolutely. Which is what is the right question to find a path through the mess right now? Or the right observation. Yes. or so, reflection. Uh, yeah. So similarly, you know, so I, I do not know what the questions are that I'm going to ask. I don't know what I'm going to observe. I don't know often how we're going to start. I don't know how we're going to finish. I certainly don't know what's going to happen in the middle of those two things. Yeah. Um, I often don't know what I'm about to say. I frequently don't know what I've just said. Um, and in all of that, then if I do offer an observation or reflection, I'll often, yeah, you know, I'll always sort of frame it as that I don't really know where this is coming from. But I have a sense of. But I'm going to say it. Yeah. And it could be complete nonsense. Yeah. Right. But it's it's come up for me enough that I kind of feel yeah, like yeah. I want to throw it in. And sometimes it lands and sometimes it doesn't. And that's fine. It, yeah. There's no harm in it. Because often as well, the observation is, is also in the what's not said. Absolutely. So here's the word that I sense you keep avoiding using you know yes. or or talking mm-hmm. around so there's all that stuff and similar to you I mean my my structure as much as I have when I, I get I do emphasize more the the somatic side of things now so I actually open a lot of sessions with a very brief sort of centering and settling exercise yeah and then the question off the back of that is so once you're sort of centered into your body and just tapping into that beyond the brain again mm-hmm. Just what what feels most important right now, and particularly with clients that I've worked with long term, got into the habit now. They'll often drop me a line the day before or so to say, right, here's a couple of work things that are on my mind that I want, I want to put on the agenda. Right, like, great. Hold those now awareness as a possibility. But as we start the conversation today, what is your whole system telling you? what really matters yeah, right now. absolutely. And it could be completely different to the things you thought you wanted to talk about. And it will still 
almost always be somehow related to those things. Yeah. But it's it's the underlying theme that needs attention, which will either then make those other agenda points irrelevant, so you mm. just don't care about them anymore, or it helps you unlock them in a different way. Yeah. So it's, it's, that's where I start. And then, mm. so, and then the end, yes, there is something about, as a coach, you have a responsibility to hold the space, which is the time space as well. So you need a beginning, you need to take care through the middle, and then you need to bring to a mm. close, and there's often then mm. some sort of action in the close. Um, and that is important. There's something about endings yeah. is important yeah, yeah, yeah. as well. But it doesn't need to be long. It doesn't need to be complicated. And that gives you, you know, an awful lot of time in the middle to just explore freely. Yeah. And every now and then you might just say, no, actually another 10 minutes here might be useful. Mm. So let's add that bit on. And that's perfectly fine as well. But it's it's not just allowing something to fizzle out and yeah, yeah, yeah. then, okay, oh, time's up, right, off yeah. we go. It's, yeah. you, there's got to be some deliberate closing to, Absolutely. to the work. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And talking of closing, I could talk with you about this for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> um, and wherever people are listening to this, they probably are thinking, I need to go do something else in a second. Um so I, one of the uh, the last kind of question mm. I wanted to discuss with you, and we've touched on it a little bit as we've gone through, is we hold as coaches a lot. Yep. So we hold, and, and you know, and there's stuff that we do around transferring our own stuff and absorbing other yep. people's stuff. What are some of the things that you do that allow you to be as present as you possibly can and as available for the client as you possibly can, which can sometimes be exhausting? Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that you do that help you to show up, to hold that and to not be exhausted by it? Yeah. So I think there's sort of immediate things and then there's more general things that you mm. do in life. So I think, you know, there's basic things like um, diet, sleep, mm. exercise, they, they all help. Um, before a, a session, a lot of the time, I'll do a brief centering practice myself. Mm. Um, and part of that practice is you have an internal commitment that you, it's almost like a sort of mantra, I yeah. suppose. Um, which is about what is important to you in the world, in your work. Mm. So a reminder to myself of that and holding that in my body. Yeah. Then that's my intention for how yeah. I show up with my client, particularly if I'm thinking this is going to be a bit difficult for okay. whatever reason. Yeah. Then just getting out of your head, getting out of all that narrative about what's about to happen, getting yeah. into your body and trusting it will be okay, then that all really helps. Even in the session, there is a constant resetting of that. So feet on the ground, back against the chair. Yeah. Am I breathing shallowly? Do I need to bring my breath down a little bit more? What are the thoughts and narrative that I've got racing going on here? Right, let me just slow things yeah. down. So you're doing all of that in the moment yeah. as well. There's a closing piece for me as well of... You know, you can get into those thoughts of, oh, if only, and, oh, why, why did I yeah. say that? Why did I do that? So there's just a, a sort of an acceptance and a gratitude yeah. to myself. Oh, I did the best I could. Yeah. Did the best I could. I, you know, I, this idea that I, I, I make an offer to the client. I make an offer of myself. I make an offer of the work. 
we do the best we can together because it is a co-created experience in that hour, whatever it is. And, you know, if that didn't quite go to plan or it maybe didn't land, well, I made the offer and if they didn't fully step into it or the time wasn't right, then yeah. nothing to beat myself up Yeah. over. Yeah. So I think those are the main things. And then there's, you know, there is a, a practice of meditation as well. So doing that regularly also just helps you when you're in those moments of this is getting really messy and I'm not sure where to go next. It just allows you to yeah. ground yourself that bit more quickly. Yes. Yeah. If you've got that regular practice, because that's another big part of the work with the clients is what is the practice you want them to step into? What yeah. are the things that they are going to yeah. do differently yeah. and regularly? Mm. Because only with practice does any difference yeah. come. Yeah. And and it and I'm always amazed, you know, how well actually it happens in client sessions, but I think even with the themes that I kind of work through, how so often it comes back to what are your habits, what are your practice, all the habitual practice, I think, is probably, you know, whether that is meditation, gratitude practice, you know, I think having kind of worked some quite a bit this year on my own and with other people around resilience, you know, it's a practice. It doesn't just happen. And I think, you know, like people kind of, I think there's a wonderful phrase, I can't remember who it was about, you know, gratitude isn't an attitude, it's a practice. You decide you're going to do it and you practice it. You know, it's, it's not a personality trait in a way of being, it's something that you create. And I think it's certainly something I learned in my own coaching practice, particularly taking that time. I have a tendency to be running quite a lot between things, next thing, next thing. And I think I kind of had probably a couple of years ago got into that. I would almost like go from piece of work into a session, out of a session on and then think what happened and actually building in time to prepare for a coaching session and not by creating a detailed plan, but by focusing on how I am and settling myself and then taking that time and actually building in sort of 30 minutes afterwards. And before I leap up and go and do something else, for me, some of it was, is stopping to think and reflect and capturing what happened so that I've got those kind of notes and then having that space before I lift, leap yeah. into something else, because I think it also leaves you as a person a little bit vulnerable for a while because mm. you've been very open. You've been holding a lot of stuff and you need to land that before you go on and do something else. Absolutely. Um, and on the, just on the practice bit, I mean, a colleague of mine, uh, the way she describes it, which I really like, is, you know, we, yes, we help people see those habits, see those things that they do unconsciously, repeatedly, um, which brings an awareness of how they are or how they can be, which is great. But awareness only brings capacity. Yes. Practice brings capability. Yeah. Right. So yeah. once you've got the awareness, but you've then got to develop a new way of being time and time Absolutely. and time again before that then becomes the habit. Yeah. Yeah, it's not accidental and it doesn't just happen. It's hard work. It is hard work. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. it is hard work. And I think, you know, when I start, when we started this conversation and I said, you know, why did you become a coach? 
And Did I ever answer that? <laughs> Somewhere people can pull something out. Um, but I think, you know, it's it's a it's a real gift, I think, to be able for me to be able to enable people to do the things they want to do. But also it's a real gift that people will open up and trust you Absolutely. with that. Yeah. And I think there's that wonderful um, uh, story, isn't there, about the starfish and the guy, kind of, you know, I've had a few people kind of say to me, why don't you work with bigger teams? You know, it's about helping more people, not just one at a time. And I'm like, actually, the fulfilling bit for me is about you can really make a difference to one person. Yeah. And then the ripple effect of that. Yes, absolutely, well, absolutely, and the impact on ourselves, I yeah. think, is. Yeah, know, we're always learning in these conversations as well. That's yeah. Really exciting, so yeah. 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 Well, I Great. think we have come to the end of this conversation, <laughs> but certainly not um, many, many more. So thank you so much for joining yeah, me today. Thank you. Thank you again to Glyn for joining me today. And thank you also to anybody who has managed to listen to us chatter for the past hour. There are a couple of things that really stand out for me from my conversation with Glyn today. The first is how we really need to consider getting the best out of people without ramming them into a box. Really thinking about what brings somebody to life and enables them to bring the whole of themselves to their work and their life. The next is that I've always been struck by how Glenn has taken his own experiences in work and life and how this has really driven him to support other people to move forward and take action in their own lives. I also love the concept that he introduced about easy work and how actually what that can mean is that it's full of ease rather than just that traditional perspective of easy And the last thing, but not the least, is about how when our lives can often feel like a complete mess, having somebody in the role of a coach who has the ability to stand in that fire alongside you and not fix it for you, but trust that sense will come from that mess, that still blows my mind. I'd love to hear what has emerged from this for you and what your thoughts are in response to what you've heard. Thank you so much for joining the podcast and please check out and subscribe to the other episodes on whatever platform you choose to listen through. Thank you.